today is our final day of Living Beyond series where we're looking at the early church and seeing their boldness that they had, their, their unbridled drive to just reach people with the gospel and going out and all of the healings and the miracles and all of the stuff that was happening in the early church and just how we can look at their lives and how it can transform our lives when we realize that, holy smokes, there's so much more I could live beyond what I am actually living right now. So today's message, I've titled it simply, The Real Deal. The Real Deal. And we're going to be looking at several snapshots of Jesus' ministry, the apostles in Acts, as well as some frauds and fakes, because there's those in the Bible too, as we consider what it really means to live an authentic, real life for Jesus. So Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, that we've, we've gotten this gift from you, your written word, where we can look at it, we can learn from it, we can get inspired by it, Jesus, and it can speak to us and show us how we could live our lives for you. So Jesus, as we dive in this morning, I just pray that it would be speaking to us. Your word is alive, Jesus. It's alive and it can speak to us individually. So Lord, as we look at all these things, I pray that every single person here would find one thing to take away, one actionable thing where they can go, I can try that. I can do that. I'm going to do something different this week. So Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We pray a blessing over as it's given, Jesus. And we're just, we're just so thankful for your presence here in your name. Amen. Awesome. Well, as we've been going through the series, we've seen the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit has moved powerfully through the apostles and the early church. We've seen where the Holy Spirit gave them great boldness to preach Jesus across the land. And we've also seen them stand firm in who they are and what they believe. But I don't think it's simply because they were stubborn or bullheaded. The early church did not get there because they were just stubborn people who were like, nope, this is what I believe and that's what I'm sticking with. <laughs> that wasn't what they were doing. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was Christ at work inside of them that was giving them a supernatural boldness to boldly proclaim the gospel far and wide with with little regard for self even. And they also had Jesus as a role model that they walked with in physical form on earth. So you, you look at the disciples, the apostles, and they had walked with Jesus on the earth. They got to see how he lived, how he functioned, the, the boldness that he had. And then they also got to see or have the Holy Spirit empower them from inside. So it's, they've got two aspects of the, the Trinity, the Godhead, at work in their own personal lives very, very prominently that they were actually able to lean on. So as we look at this all th this morning, we're going to start with some examples of where Jesus was very boldly himself, where he wasn't shying away from things, but he came in as the real deal and was going, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, and I'm not backing down anytime soon. And if anyone's been tracking, those that have been at Life Group, but if you watch the Chosen series, I love how they portray Jesus and his responses to the Pharisees. It just, every single time, it's just like, woo, <laughs> this is good. 
But uh, first up, we're going to ping pong through a whole bunch of stories here. So try and stay with us. But uh, we've got parts of it on the screen as well. But in Luke 5, 17 to 26, we see a story where Jesus heals the paralytic. And Jesus was teaching one day, and a bunch of Pharisees and teachers of religious law decide they're going to come and hang out close by just to keep tabs on what's going on. And some men carried a paralyzed man on a mat. And some of you guys are already thinking, tear off the roof, right? Instantly, that's where my head goes now. But they tore, they actually physically tore the roof open. They peeled the tiles right off the roof because they couldn't actually bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus because there were so many people there. They climbed on the roof with the guy. I can only imagine how they got the poor guy up there. Like, come on, over the shoulder, we're going up, <laughs> right? But they brought him up there. They lowered him down on his mat right before Jesus. And Jesus, the interesting thing in this story was he didn't right away just go, hey, dude, get up. Rise up, you're healed. Boom, done. No. First thing he does is tell the man that his sins are forgiven. And Jesus is very aware, I'm sure, that the Pharisees are just around the corner, right within earshot to hear this Saul. And the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, they're not impressed. They're probably right ticked off at Jesus for what he said. Who does he think he is saying that he can forgive sins? Who does this guy think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. These are things that they were thinking, things that they hadn't quite voiced yet, but they were thinking them. They were processing this stuff and just like, getting, oh, I'm just mad at this Jesus guy. Who does he think he is? But then in Luke 5, 22 to 24, it says, Jesus knew what they were thinking. Probably by the look on their face, it was probably giving away pretty good too, but he knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to a paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now the powerful moment in this scripture where Jesus actually presents himself as who he is to the Pharisees, is that little snippet in there, the Son of Man. The Son of Man was him referring to himself as Messiah. The Son of Man was him saying to them, you guys have no clue who you're dealing with here right now, because I'm actually the one that was to come, the one that was prophesied about, the one whom is going to bring correction, justification to the world. And that is what Jesus was saying. Son of man, also known as Messiah. He was making a bold statement to them. Jump forward a little bit or backwards. Not sure which way we're going there. I think it's forwards. Yes, forwards. Luke 6. We're looking at Luke 6. Jesus, he decides to allow his disciples to pick and eat grain on the Sabbath. Ooh. Ooh, Jesus, what are you doing? Where are you, why, are you, why are you doing this, man? On the Sabbath, you're not supposed to work, like, at all. Which means harvesting grain, even the simple act of just grabbing the head of some grain, rubbing it between your hands, and eating the grain seeds is considered harvesting. That's how, you, so you can imagine how strict the Pharisees were, how strict the law was in that time, where it was like, you can't even, if you're starving, and these disciples, they were hungry. Like, for all of you that are like, 
sitting here right now and thinking about lunch already. I'm sorry, but you got some time still, and you're going to get real hungry by the end of church where, to the point where it'd be like, I'm just going to sneak a couple. Just, I, don't, I just want a little bit. But Jesus allowed his disciples to harvest some grain and eat because his disciples were hungry. And the Pharisees, they challenged him on it. They're like, dude, what are you doing? Why are your guys eating and harvesting this stuff on the Sabbath? You're not supposed to. And in Luke 6, 3 to 5, Jesus replied, Haven't you read in scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, the son of man. Messiah. The son of man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Jesus was very much going, guys, there's some different Pharisees here, but guys, I'm the guy. I decide what is okay to do or not to do on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was for the benefit of people, not people for the benefit of the Sabbath. So Jesus is going, my guys are hungry. They're going to eat, period. And then Jesus wasn't quite done with all this Sabbath stuff. Jesus actually healed someone on a Sabbath as well. And in Luke 6, 6 to 11, this is on another Sabbath. So it's not the same day. It's a different Sabbath. And Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. So he's reading scripture. He's teaching. And there's this guy there with a deformed hand. He was crippled. His hand was crippled. And the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, they're sitting there and they're going, I'm sure they're just kind of like tucked back in the corner going, I see that guy with the crippled hand. I can't wait to see what Jesus does on the Sabbath. What's he going to do? Is he actually going to heal this guy? We know this is the kind of stuff Jesus likes to do, but is he actually going to work on the Sabbath? Which, I mean, if he's teaching on the Sabbath, like that seems like work to me in itself, but who am I to judge? But they wanted to catch Jesus in the act of healing some guy on the Sabbath because he wasn't supposed to. But again, Jesus knew what they were thinking because, you know, Jesus isn't dumb. He's a pretty smart person slash God. And uh, in Luke 6, 8 to 11, he says, He said to the man with a deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. He called him right out. He wasn't just going to do a little side gig and heal his hand off to the side and hope the Pharisees didn't notice. No, come right out front here so everybody can see. Then Jesus said to his critics, I love them critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, that's, that's sharp. Is this a day to save life or destroy it? He looked around at them one by one. I could just imagine him just looking, just. You know what I'm about to do. This is about to get real. He looked around at them one by one and said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. Wow. 
At this time, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him because they clearly didn't have any clue what to do with Jesus at that time. But Jesus was very firmly presenting himself as the Messiah. He was very firmly presenting himself as Lord over the Sabbath. He was saying, guys, this is me. And his disciples were there to watch and learn and observe all of these things that Jesus was doing. And then one of my favorites from Jesus is Jesus clearing the temple. I just love this. It's like that one Facebook meme when, you know, the one where it says, you know, the meme's leaving me. When I think about what Jesus would do in a situation, flipping tables and cracking whips is not out of the question, right? <laughs> when, when we think about what Jesus would do in a situation. But Jesus entered the temple. This is in Matthew 21, 12 to 17. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, the scriptures declare... He loved using scripture, and I love that about Jesus. The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles. They saw that they were wonderful miracles, but they also were like, whoa, what are you doing? And heard even the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the son of David. <laughs> but the leaders were indignant. They were once again right ticked off. Jesus is really good at making these people upset. They asked Jesus, Do you hear what these children are saying? Are you listening to these children? They're saying, Praise God for the son of David. Do you have any idea what they're implying? Son of David a.k.a. same thing as son of man, Messiah. They're saying Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is all-powerful. And Jesus is sitting there, and he just goes, yeah, <laughs> I do hear what they're saying. Yes. And Jesus replied, haven't you ever read the scriptures? <laughs> I can just imagine. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? Pharisees, leaders of religious law, right? Haven't you ever read this book? <laughs> For they say you have taught the children and infants to give you praise. Even the children could recognize, and maybe they could recognize even easier, that Jesus was Lord, that he was Messiah. Jesus was not ashamed to be everything he was supposed to be, even to the point of death on a cross. The disciples were there to witness not only that, but also his resurrection, where he was victorious over sin and death. So the disciples, after spending all this time with Jesus, witnessing some of these moments, and these are just some of them, witnessing some of these moments where, where Jesus was just like, this is who I am. And then witnessing not only Jesus' death, but his resurrection, the disciples are probably coming into the book of Acts going like, What's the worst anyone can do? Jesus can resurrect himself. Surely he can do something awesome for us too. They can try and kill us. We might just come back alive. So we jump forward into Acts, and over the past few weeks, we've been seeing where the Holy Spirit's poured out on the apostles and the church at large. 
where so many are filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with a boldness, filled with a power. And we've seen where the disciples were growing more and more bold as they continued to fulfill the mission Jesus had left them to be his witnesses. And in Acts 4, Peter and John, they face the council. And some of these are ones that we've already gone over the last few weeks. If you want the whole big picture, go listen to the ones online if you missed any. But in Acts 4, Paul, Peter and John, they were boldly declaring Jesus as Savior and the cornerstone on which everything sits. And when told not to speak about Jesus anymore by those Pharisees and leaders of religious law and the like, they say in Acts 4.19, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Like, do you really think that? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Now, the apostles, they got arrested. They got broken out by an angel. So, I mean, like, they're already going, like, sweet deal. They didn't kill us yet, but we did get locked up. But Jesus sent an angel, and now we got out and... Now we're here, and now we're going to just keep doing what we're doing and telling people about Jesus, because that's what he said to do. And they continue to preach in, in Acts 5, 17 to 42. Again, one question, Peter and the apostles boldly respond, and this is in Acts 5, 29 to 32. We must obey God rather than human authority. We must. This isn't a question. This isn't even a, we're not even going to entertain the thought of this. We must obey God rather than human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on that cross. They put it on them as the ones that hung him on the cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as the prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. We're witnesses. Church, we're witnesses. We have witnessed through scripture, through revelation, and th with the Holy Spirit inside of us, because Holy Spirit was there then and now. Same Holy Spirit from back then, 2,000-some years ago, and now. So when we go to witness, when we're boldly proclaiming Jesus, we have that same Holy Spirit that was there the whole way along for the whole ride. That's an amazing thing to think about. And then in Acts 7, Stephen, he also faced the council, and he boldly stood his ground even to death. And Stephen, he gave a solid speech to the council, and he ends it off by just, like, getting right in there with those guys. And ends up accusing them of resisting the Holy Spirit and being heathen at heart. Ooh, those are some pointed words. In Acts 7, 54 to 56, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fists at him with rage. Oh, however you imagine that. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And all of these people knew exactly who the Son of Man was. No question about it. Stephen was being completely real. 
right up into the point of death. And then Saul, after encountering Jesus, flees Damascus for his life, then eventually hands back to Tarsus, his hometown, to continue the mission that Jesus had commissioned him with. Now Saul, out of anyone, when, and we just talked about Saul last week, but Saul, out of anyone, knew exactly what he was signing up for because he was on the other side of the fence before where he was the one that was persecuting and condoning death upon people and just wanting to see the church suffer and crumble in front of him. And then he has that Damascus Road experience, gets transformed by Jesus, and he, out of anyone, could have been like, nope, I'm out, I'm done. I ran for my life once in Damascus. I'm going to go back to doing what I was doing because I was comfortable in it. I knew what I was doing. I have the backing of the whole high council, all of the Pharisees, you know, the Sanhedrin. They're all backing me in this thing. I, I could just go right back into that. It's going to be, it'd be easy. But he had such an encounter with Jesus, there was no returning. There was no going back to his previous life. Now, are we willing, like all of these examples, to stick our necks out there and be everything Jesus has called us to be? Are we willing to go, you know what? I'm comfortable back here. This is my safe space. This is my bubble. I'm happy here. This is, this is me being easy. But are we willing to step out of that and step into the amazing, abundant life Jesus has for us where we're living beyond ourselves and going, you know what, Jesus? I'm all in. I'm done with my safety nets. I'm done with being just okay, tucked in the corner here and just like singing kumbaya and being just all hunky-dory with everything. I'm actually going to step out in faith and start to live the life you've called me to. Are we willing you know, Saul, he was also known as Paul, and further on in this, we're going to be referring to him more as Paul, but he would go on to suffer much for the sake of Jesus. It was actually promised to him that he was going to suffer much for Jesus' name. But some of the things include three shipwrecks, multiple imprisonments, being flogged, beaten, and stoned, left for dead, faced riots, and extreme hatred. It sounds like a terrible... Um, Resume, <laughs> where it's like, oh, that sounds like, if that's the job description, I don't know if I want this. And yet in all of that, he was able to stand firm for Jesus through it all. And we're going to get to some of what gave him the ability to stand firm in just a few moments. But he had a couple of things that were just like, made it simple for him to make that decision to stand firm for Jesus in the midst of all of those difficulties. But before we do, I just want to point out a couple of examples from Acts where people were not being real, where they were being a little bit fake or fraudulent and not quite living up to what Jesus had called them to, let alone being truthful about everything. And our first one is Ananias and Sapphira. And many of us know this story. It's found in Acts 5, 1 to 11. But basically... They had land. They decided to sell their land and told everybody that they were going to donate the money to the church. Awesome. That's a, great, that's a great decision. Go for it. I'm not telling anyone to do that, just to be clear. 
Sound system's clapping for me. But in Acts 5.2, it says, He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. Ooh. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. In Acts 5.3-4, to 4, Peter says to him, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. You kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell. That was yours. You could choose to sell or not sell it, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. That that Ananias fell on the floor and died right there. Wow. And just three hours later, as Ananias' wife comes in, tries to live up the, the lie herself as well, same thing. She dies. No, the issue was not about whether or not they sold their land. That wasn't the issue here. The issue wasn't even whether or not they gave all the money or not. That was not the issue. The issue was that they lied to God about the amount. They were fraudulent about it. They were trying to look good to the other believers. They were trying to use this as a moment where they could puff themselves up and be like, look at me go. I just sold all my land. I'm giving it to the church. I'm keeping a little bit in the pocket, but I'm giving it all to the church. They lied to God in the process. You know, if we're going to come to God with a sacrifice, if we're going to come to God with a gift, we better be honest about it. Let's be real. I'm not saying that you need to tell anyone about what you're given or how much you're given or anything like that, but in our hearts, we need to know that this is what I'm supposed to give to Jesus when we give. Second one, there's this Jewish false prophet slash sorcerer, which when you mix the two of those together, that's a weird situation already. But his name was Bar-Jesus, also known as Elymas. And this is found in Acts 13, 6 to 12. And this is one that I actually haven't heard many people use in a message or anything like that ever. But it popped out at me as I was preparing. And uh, the governor of Paphos had invited Saul and Barnabas to visit him because he wanted to hear the word of God from them. He'd heard about all the things that were going on, and he wanted them to come to him and give him a message from God. Now, Elymas tried to interfere and keep him from believing. The false prophet, the sorcerer, tried to block it. He tried to go, oh, you don't need to listen to these guys. Like, I, I've got the word of the Lord for you. Like, just listen to me. It's going to be okay. In Acts 13, 9 to 12, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Anyone ever notice in Acts how many times people are filled with the Holy Spirit? I think they're trying to hint something. <laughs> filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked the sorcerer in the eye. And when I see that, he looked him in the eye. It's almost like he's gazing into his soul. He's like, I'm, I'm dismantling you right now. I'm like pulling you apart. I'm seeing right to your heart right now. And he said, you son of the devil. <laughs> son of the devil. <laughs> I'm going to start using that. No, I'm not. Full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good. Whoa. Way to come out of the gate strong. 
Will you ever stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. And I'm sure that uh, Saul, a.k.a. Paul, is going, I know exactly how this feels. <laughs> this is going to be a rough few days for you, buddy. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around for so and begging for someone to take his hand and lead him, just blind, right now. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, <laughs> for he was astonished as the teaching, astonished with the teaching about the Lord. <laughs> so this guy tries to block, becomes blind because of it, and then the the governor comes to believe anyways. The Lord will fulfill what he sets out to fulfill. Now, Elymas, he wanted to maintain his position over hearing the word of God and letting it do its work. He was more interested in his role and where he was, the prestige he had in that room, than he was about letting God actually do the work that was needed to be done. He was a false prophet. And he prayed, paid the price for it. You know, if we're going to speak on behalf of God and very firmly speak on behalf of God, we better make sure we're hearing from God. We better make sure that we're, we're in his word. Checking with his word. You know, whether it comes through his word or by dreams, visions, or the likes, you know, that's why it's so important, especially when we're learning about, you know, giving a word of the Lord or you know, prophesying or, or word of knowledge or any of that kind of stuff. That's why it's so important to go, hey, I've got this thing that I think is from the Lord. Um, take it or leave it. If it's not, drop it. If it doesn't resonate with you, that's okay. But if it is, then hold on to it, right? And that's a way of humbly coming into it. And as we develop and grow in those kinds of things, we can become more confident as we get confirmations that what we're hearing is the Lord and that we can roll in that a lot stronger. That was a bonus thing there. God will accomplish his mission. Let's not stand in his way. <laughs> Doesn't end well. You might go blind. And then my third one, this is my last example of people that aren't being real in it, is the sons of Siva, my favorites. These guys are just ridiculous. So now Paul, was, he is in Ephesus. And Ephesus at that time, it was a center of power. And even when we look at the book of Ephesians, there's a lot of talk about the power of the Lord that Paul is giving in there. And the reason for that is actually because he's making sure that people understand that God is all-powerful. And in Ephesus at that time, you know, there was a lot of magic power going on, political power, religious power. Like, it was, they were all about the power. And in Acts 19, 11 to 12, it says, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. That's amazing. If I could blow my nose into something and have that heal people, that would be like truly something special and kind of disgusting. But God was proving himself more powerful than any of the other gods, religions, or magic that was in the region. That's what God was doing, and that's why he was moving in such a unique way there. 
And the sons of Siva, they figured that just by adding Jesus' name to their incantations or slipping him into the middle of what they were trying to do, it was going to give them the same power and replicate what Jesus was doing through Paul in that situation. It says this in Acts 19, 13 to 16. I'm using the Amplified for this one, but... Then some of the traveling Jewish exorcists also attempted to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I implore you and solemnly command you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. I wonder where they went wrong. Seven sons of one named Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. But the evil spirit retorted, I know and recognize and acknowledge Jesus. Oh, I'm very aware of Jesus, trust me. And I know about Paul even because he's, he's being used very mightily by Jesus. But as for you, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> like, really guys? Who are you? Then the man in whom the evil was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them. Seven of them. One guy versus seven. Overpowered all of them so that they ran out of that house in terror, stripped naked and wounded. Why to add insult to injury? But they just wanted to have the power, even though they didn't have the relationship. They tried to use Jesus' name, but they weren't full of the Holy Spirit. Notice that part was missing there. Where was the Holy Spirit active in their lives? It wasn't. Jesus' name and the Holy Spirit are not cheap parlor tricks. They aren't. They're not some kind of magic voodoo stuff that you can just conjure up when you want to have a good experience and then leave on the sidelines when you don't. That's not Jesus. It's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that enables us, first and foremost, to bear witness. That's what Jesus was saying was the main purpose of the Holy Spirit coming, was that they would be able to bear witness, and that the Holy Spirit would bear witness itself. And healings would happen, and they would function in other spiritual gifts to accomplish the mission. So there was all the extra stuff as well, but the main focus of it all was to accomplish the mission of Jesus, and that was to spread the good news far and wide and to bear witness to him and his works. So when we ask for the Holy Spirit to come, when we ask for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us, when we ask for the Holy Spirit to empower us, it better be for one reason, to bear witness to him. So lying to gain status, trying to block to keep position, or just being fake about it all to try and gain power really does not pan out. So how do we really get, how do we get real about it for us and help us stay on track with Jesus? Well, here's just a few really, and they are really simple, practical things that we can all do. There are examples from Paul's life that will not only help keep us in God's will, but will also develop our relationship with him and keep it all about him. So number one, Paul prayed. He was a man of prayer. He was a man that wasn't afraid to get down on his knees. And in Philippians 4, 6, we've used this verse lots over the last year. But don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell him what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. Pray about it all. 
everything. Why, why do we feel like some things aren't worthy of being prayed for? You got a cold? Pray for it. <laughs> I told Caitlin that we should, I should, we should pray for her to be healed of her cold. And she was like, God's got more important things to do than heal my cold. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I think she was being smug about it. But, but he understood that it's in prayer that he keeps connected to the source. God will supply our every need, and it gave him peace even when he was facing some of his most difficult situations, such as writing this letter while he was likely in jail. He's in jail, and he's saying, don't worry about anything. That's fine. We'll just pray about everything. That's, that's a better way to go. But he also understood that his prayers weren't just for himself. In Philippians 1, 3 to 6, this is one of my favorite verses to remind me to keep people in prayer. It says, every time I think of you, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ since the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Amen. Church, we need to be a people about prayer. We need to be willing to get on our hands and knees and just come before the Lord and bring all things in prayer. And it's not just about those times where we're off in our own space in our closets, our prayer closets or whatever, and having our, our own personal times of prayer, but corporate prayer is important. That's why every single Sunday we have pre-service prayer at 10. You're all invited, by the way. You all come and shake the heavens and the earth, come pray with us. Thursday nights, come pray, because that's where the groundwork is being done and prepared for the things that God wants to do in our community and even as we go about our day-to-day -day life, we can be constantly in prayer. Second thing Paul did was he trusted God with his everything. Philippians 4, 12 and 13, not just 13, 12 and 13 because it gives better context to 13. It says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, which most of ours are empty now, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. A lot of the time we like to take that Philippians 4.13 out by itself and go, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But when we read it with the previous verse, it's going, whether I have little, I'm hungry, I got nothing in the bank account, or I've got an abundance, I can do it because I've got Jesus. That's the everything. I can do everything because of him who empowers me, his Holy Spirit working inside of me. That's what Paul is saying there. It's not just like, hey, I, 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 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so I'm going to be a millionaire tomorrow. Guard done. No, that's not what he's saying there. He's saying, that we can accomplish everything Jesus has called us to accomplish through him who empowers us, not out of our own strength. Paul was not concerned with his material needs. He was thankful, though, for whatever he had. Now, this doesn't mean he was negligent. I believe he was a good steward. 
You know, he would even do tent making on the side to help make ends meet when he needed to. He wasn't afraid to do a side hustle. Lots of people do side hustles these days. But he wasn't afraid to work to make ends meet. But he knew that his real strength came from Jesus alone. And then Philippians 1, 20 to 26 says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ. He's all in. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work, fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and to be with Christ. I want to just be in his presence 24-7 which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. He was pointing everything back to Jesus, trusting him with his everything. Whether he lives or dies, it's all Jesus you guys are going to be even more proud about Jesus because of all the things that the Holy Spirit's doing through him, right? He wasn't going, look at me, guys. Look at all this cool stuff that God's using me for. This is awesome. Look at me. No. He's going, guys, look at all of this awesome stuff that God is doing. And I just so happen to get to be there and be part of it. And it's amazing to get to be there and be part of it. Jesus really was everything to Paul. Live or die, it's all Jesus. What if we as a church today had this level of commitment to live or die? Doesn't matter. What's the worst people can do? Say, you're ridiculous? Throw rocks at you depending on what part of Charlotte County you're trying to spread Jesus in? <laughs> Shots fired. Romans 12.1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Guys, it's everything. Are we willing to just lay it all down and say, Lord, use me however you desire. I'm yours. And then third, Paul understood that Jesus works all things for the good. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Woo! Yes! When we have given Jesus our everything and we're walking life with him, even when things get hard, we can still lean on and trust in him. He can take the worst of situations and turn it around for his glory. When we're called according to his purpose, he works all things for the good. And then the fourth thing we can learn from Paul is he continued to push forward no matter the obstacle. This is my final one. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. Thank you, Paul, for being modest. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Amen. 
This reminds me of the movie Finding Nemo. <laughs> when Marlon and Dory are searching and it's all looking bleak and Dory just starts singing, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. Anyone seen Finding Nemo? Come on, guys. You guys need to, like, re-Disney-fy yourselves or something. The old stuff's really good. But just like Paul, we press towards the prize. We push on. We continue to advance because that's what Jesus said his church would do is advance, so we better be advancing. We push. We don't back down, right? Jesus didn't back down. His apostles weren't backing down, so why would we back down? If Jesus has really called us to something, let's go for it. Let's do this thing. Let's get our hands dirty if we have to and drive the thing forward. We stand our ground and we, need, and we be exactly who God has called each of us to be. It's that biblical sense of humility where we're not understating ourselves and going, oh, we're just lowly whatevers, but it's coming in exactly where God has placed us and saying, I'm not trying to say I'm all this. I'm also not saying I'm just worthless and nothing, but I'm coming in saying, this is who God's made me to be. This is what God's called me to do, and I'm about to get it done. What if us being our real selves is different than we really thought? We might have some preconceived ideas about who we really are, but what if our real selves, the real deal version of you, is found centered in Jesus? What would the real deal version of us look like? That's something each of us has to wrestle with. I can't tell you what exact thing or what, how God has wired you to be exactly. That's something you got to spend time with him to figure out. But in the meantime, let's get deep in prayer and trust him with our everything, knowing he's going to work all things to the good and continue to push forward in the kingdom together. As we walk with Jesus and allow him to transform us, we will become the real deal. There's no doubt about it. All of these disciples, that's what they did. They, they followed Jesus. They were obedient to Jesus. Obedience is key. We can't miss that. When God has asked us to do something, we have a choice at that point, and it's perfectly within our options to say yes or no to God. But if we're willing to say yes, holy smokes, that roof's going to tear off. And we're going to see amazing things happen in the kingdom. Why don't we stand? I'll have the worship team come back up here. We're going to close with a song, but before we do, I just want to pray for us. God's called us to be unique. He's called us to something far greater, far more amazing than I think we even realize. And uh, I just, I'm going to ask you guys, if everyone could just put your hands out. And when we put our hands out, it's like us saying, I'm ready to receive from you, Jesus. I want to pray for us to receive the Holy Spirit so that we would be empowered with boldness to preach him, to be his witnesses far and wide. So Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all of these amazing examples where you poured out your Holy Spirit, where you gave boldness when it was needed the most, where your, your gospel was presented powerfully to people. And Jesus... We ask that your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us here and now. That roofs would be torn off. That the sky would become the limit, Jesus, of what you can and want to do in and through each one of us, Jesus. 
So Lord, as we turn our attention to you and we just present ourselves to you, Jesus, I pray that you would just reveal to each one of us what it is you've called us to do, what you've called us to be, Jesus, and that we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit to do your mission, your good work, that we would not be a people that backs down or shies away from challenges, but that we would be overcomers in Christ. So Jesus, I thank you for your people. I thank you um, that you are doing a good work in this place. And Jesus, we're just excited to see what's around the corner. In your name, amen.